0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: Uh, We're reading together from Hebrews chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who were ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate, to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honourably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation for in fact I have written to you quite briefly I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released if he arrives soon I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all.
0: Back in 1952, Florence Chadwick stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean, attempting to swim 23 miles from Catalina Island back to the shore of the California coast. The day of the swim was foggy, and um, it was so foggy that as she swam, she couldn't hardly see the support boats around her as she swam but for for 15 hours she persevered swimming mile after mile in her attempt but eventually uh, she became so tired so discouraged that she begged to be taken out of the water and um, rescued by the boats her mother urged her to keep going but she was too tired and she gave up it wasn't until an hour or so later, back in the boats, that she discovered that she was less than half a mile from getting back to the coast, almost there. And in a news conference the next day, she said that if it wasn't for the fog, if, if she had been able to see forward, she would have kept going. She would have finished. This term in Hebrews, we've been reminded that we are on a journey with a brilliant ending. Ending. Chapter 2 talked about the world to come. Chapter 4, God's rest. Chapter 9, a day of salvation is coming to us. Chapter 10, better and lasting possessions, a great reward coming our way. Or or chapter 13, we are looking forward to a, a better city to come. The great Old Testament story of God's people on a journey in the desert to the promised lands is a is a. A, pre, a prequel to our story. We're, we're on a journey. It's a desert now, but ahead of us, a promised land of the new creation. The author wants us to keep going, to look forward, to be clear in what is to come, and allow that future perspective to sustain us now in the present. And that's the context for our final chapter Hebrews chapter 13. As we read the chapter, it may sound like it's a a, a list of of various unrelated things, but actually in the context of Hebrews, this is how uh, we are to live now in the present in light of our future. So just glance back to the end of chapter 12, those verses Toby began our meeting with. Chapter 12, verse 28. The author writes, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. The word there for worship isn't so much about what happens for an hour on a Sunday when Christians gather together. It's about the whole of our lives. The word means service. This is seven day a week service. We are receiving an unshakable kingdom. We're on our way home to be with God forever in the new creation. And in light of that future, we are to worship now in the present. And so, unlike Florence Chadwick, who couldn't see forward, we can. We are to keep going. And so, uh, Hebrews 13, we're going to look at what a life of worship now in the present looks like with our eyes firmly fixed on the future. Uh, Two points first this morning. First of all, what does worship look like in the present? A love that pleases God. So back to Hebrews 13, look at verse one. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Our, our struggles with, with love, it's not that we don't love, it's that we tend to love in the wrong order. So imagine a young person glued to the games console. He doesn't want to help do some chores around the house. Or the student, he doesn't want to sit next to the person in the class who's not in the in crowd. Or someone else who wants to use words to put others down rather than build them up. And all those situations, the problem isn't a lack of love. It's that it's the wrong kind of love. It's, it's self-love, not love for other people. And here, in verse one, the kind of love God is calling us to, the kind of worship we are to, to live out, is a love for others. We saw last week that the Christian life now in the present is often marked by hardships as we journey home and hardships can i think at times create in us a bunker mentality where we pull up the drawbridge we batten down the hatches and we go into survival mode where we we look after ourselves we don't have the capacity to reach out and look after others but having clarity on our future our unshakable kingdom to come that gives us the energy to love in the present imagine You've won the lottery. I don't play the lottery, but imagine you have. You've got a winning ticket. You're on your way to collect 10 million pounds. And as you go to collect your winnings, a friend says to you, oh, can you loan me a tenner? I'm a bit short. Well, look, you're going to get 10 million pounds in just a moment. It's an easy decision to give away a tenner in the present. The future gives us strength to be generous in the present. And something of that is going on here in Hebrews 13 an unshakable kingdom, joy in God's presence forever in the new creation, that security, that strength helps us now in the present to to give ourselves away in loving other people. What kind of love? Well, let's keep reading verse two. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. I think here, I reference back to Genesis 18 in the Old Testament when Abraham welcomed three strangers, um, angels he didn't realize. And the point here, I think, is it's easy to look after people we get on well with and know well. It's easy to invite some friends around for a barbecue after the morning service. It can be a great time, a great laugh. Much harder to go to someone we don't know and to say, oh, do you do fancy coming back for lunch? Strangers, it costs more. And yet that is the kind of hospitality and love that should shape God's people. Or verse three, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are ill-treated as if yourselves were suffering. Back in Hebrews 10, those who are in prison are Christians who are in prison because they follow Christ. And we may not face imprisonment in this country because of Christ. Well, not yet anyway. But many Christians around the world are facing exactly that experience. And here is a call to remember our brothers and sisters around the world. The Barnabas Fund is one place we can go to get excellent resources to help us remember those who are in prison, to know how to, to pray for them and support them. Just this week, I was looking at their website. They reminded us of Christians in Afghanistan. Apparently, the best estimates are that there are only 1,000 Christians in the whole country. And with American and UK forces pulling out of the country these last few weeks, as the Taliban seems to be gaining much ground, those 1,000 Christians face a very difficult future of great persecution. We need to pray for them, to remember them, support them, At our monthly prayer meetings here as a church family, we give aside normally a section every month to pray for uh, the persecuted church. And it's right in light of Hebrews 13 that we pray that way. And if you haven't come to one of our prayer meetings, perhaps it's a time to get into the habit of coming to, to stand with other Christians, praying for Christians who need our prayers. Of course, there is growing opposition in this country And the principle of verse three, I think, applies to those who make a stand for Christ in our country at some cost, who are persecuted for being Christians. So maybe in the school or in the office, they stand up for God's teaching on sex. We'll come to that in just a moment. Or God's teaching on Monday, and they get ridiculed for it. We have a decision to make. Will we stand with them? Will we support them? Or will we back down and back away from them? In all these areas, we are seeing the kind of love that pleases God. How we should worship as we journey home. But there's more. The writer goes on to look at two crucial areas of life where the way we love matters a very great deal. And it's amazing how this book, 2,000 years old though it is, is so amazingly relevant to our situation today. Verse four. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. In the Bible, marriage is the lifelong relationship between one man and one woman in an exclusive relationship. And it's clear all should honor that pattern in life. Whether we are married or whether we are single, we are all called to honor God's pattern. The reference to the marriage bed is a reference to sex within marriage. The world says that we can love anyone we want to. Whatever feels right to us and true to our feelings, then we can act on that as long as we love other people and don't hurt them. We can love anyone our way. But Hebrews has been reminding us that although we cannot see God, he is real. And one day Christ will return and it'll be a day of judgment. God does care about how we live, including in the area of sex. The adulterer is a married person who sleeps with someone, not their spouse. Uh, The word sexual morality is a translation of the word porneia, which covers any sexual activity, outside of marriage. And clear-sightedness about the future, knowing that we're going to be before God, helps us to live pure lives now in the present, knowing that God cares about how we live. Of course, we're all sexual sinners. And so let's not forget what Hebrews has been reminding us of our great high priest, who has died on the cross, shedding his blood to wash us clean, ensuring our access to God, not because of what we have done, but because of what he he has done. And so even sexual sinners can face that future with confidence. But there is a warning here. If we persist in a life of unrepentance and a rejection of God's ways, there is a warning, isn't there, of what will happen when Christ returns. Well, if sex is one big area, where we need to love God's way, verse five describes another hot potato for our culture today. Verse five, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Money offers us so much. It offers us short-term pleasures. With money, we can buy houses and holidays and have nice hobbies. Money gives us a sense of security. It can give us power and status in the culture we live in. But the author is saying, if we've chosen to love money, we've chosen what is less good. We've made the wrong choice. Verse five continues. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do? To me, There is a clear choice here in these verses. Will we love money for our security or will we cast all our worries and hopes and dreams on the Lord and love him? Money doesn't love us. Money didn't die for us. Money cannot secure that future of an unshakable kingdom that we are heading towards. The Lord is better by far. And being clear-sighted about the future. Knowing that in Christ we are receiving this wonderful inheritance. That cannot be taken from us. It helps us to be content in the future. And confident about, sorry, content in the present. And confident about our future. And so I wonder when is the last time we've taken a moment. Just to do a, a heart audit inside. About our view of money. A love that pleases God. As we journey home, what should worship look like? Well, here's our second point. A faith that perseveres with Christ. This next section from verse 7 through to um, verse 20 begins and ends with a focus on Christian leaders. And I, I realize that Given what's happening in the wider church and given what's happening here in Fulwood as well, this issue of leadership is a sensitive issue, but there's great help here in these verses. Look at verse seven. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Note two things about these leaders, what they said and what they did. What they said, they spoke the word of God. What they did, their way of life had been shaped by their faith. And this is so important. A consistent theme in the scriptures is that a true grasp of the gospel always leads to a changed life. There's a connection between our lips and our lives. We might allow our politicians to have a divide between their public and private lives, but that is not okay. For Christian leaders. And here in verse 7, these leaders are being commended because of their their way of life matched the gospel they proclaimed. And then look forward to the end of our section. This is the other bookend around this middle section of chapter 13. Look forward to verse 17. The author says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Christian leaders do have authority in the church and authority in and of itself is not a bad thing. Uh, Leaders like those in verse seven, whose lips and lives are consistent Well, they should be allowed to exercise authority in the church as they teach God's word and as they set an example of Christian living. But notice two big controls on the authority. It's an authority that is to be used for the good of the church family, to care for the flock. This is not a self-serving authority, but an authority that protects and cares and serves. And also notice, it's not an absolute authority. Every leader is accountable to God. And of course, the Lord Jesus is the ultimate example of the right use of authority. Verse 20, he is the great shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep so that they may be safe forever. So this focus on Christian leadership bookends this middle section, verse 7, verse 17. And we're seeing that Christian leadership is important because of verse 9. Don't be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. You see, back in the day of the early readers, there were lots of different voices around in that culture, different people claiming to be leaders to, to be followed. And there was... Those who spoke God's word and those who spoke strange teachings. And the writer wants to equip the flock to have a faith that perseveres with Christ by following the right leaders. Sticking with those who've spoken God's word to them. Or to put it another way, verse 9 continues. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. What a wonderful summary of the book of Hebrews. God's grace shown to us in Christ. God has come to earth in the person of Jesus to die for us as the perfect sacrifice to take away our sins. Through him, we have complete access to God forever. All of grace. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done. And so verse 10, the altar that we go to is different from Old Testament sacrifices. We don't go to a temple in a city. No, verse 12, and so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. This is a call to persevere with Christ and his sacrificial death. Now, look, I think for us today, it's unlikely many of us will be tempted by some kind of strange teaching that takes us back to Old Testament sacrifices at a temple. And yet, we are tempted away from God's grace to something else. And so often that is to some kind of self-reliance or some kind of salvation by works in daily living. And I think we can spot that creep in our hearts by how we find it so hard to be open with each other about our sin. Because we think that we have to earn our way to God through our good behavior, and we can't allow people to see that we are sinners. And so thinking of the first six verses of Hebrews, we we can't let people see our lack of love for others, or lack of hospitality, or our shame in standing with persecuted Christians, or our sexual impurity, or our problems with money. We have to hide these things because... Functionally, we're not saved by grace. But verse nine, it is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. Come and feast again and again, day by day at this table, a salvation that is not earned, but freely given through Christ. A faith that perseveres with Christ. As faithful leaders, model Christian living teaching us the gospel show us the way to trust in Christ that is how we are to live a life that perseveres with Christ two big applications then verse 13 let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore the cross of Christ was shameful back then and it's shameful today if we are going to be a people of the cross following a crucified savior we have to be ready to be disgraced today to be mocked and shamed by a world that that does not get the cross and the grace we see revealed there and so it really helps to remember that we are on our way home we have a city that is better not here but there that'll help us experience disgrace now until we get home The second application is to offer a right sacrifice in response to the sacrifice of Christ. Verse 15, the sacrifice God is looking for is not some animal. Christ has already died. We don't need another sacrifice, but we are called to live a life of praise as our sacrifice to God. Or verse 16, and do not forget to do good. And to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. This is the kind of people the cross should produce. I, I think here at Ford we're good at proclaiming the cross, and rightly so. We have, a, I think, a good doctrine of, of Christ's sacrifice and what his death has achieved, and we mustn't let go of that, we must keep teaching the Bible. But I wonder if we are as good at seeing how that message changes our lives in practice. That, that, that we're called to a sacrifice of doing good in our lives. What does it mean to do good? Well, lots of things, I'm sure. But in the context of Hebrews 13, perhaps particularly the author is thinking of those ways of loving in verses 1 to 6. Hospitality and looking after those who are in need and how we use our money and our, our sexual purity. Those kinds of ways, doing good there is a sacrifice that God is pleased with in our lives. Here then is a faith that perseveres with Christ. And as we come to the end of Hebrews, verse 22 sums it up. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. Florence Chadwick, stopped swimming because she couldn't see what was ahead of her. This letter of exhortation has been reminding us of what is to come because of Christ. The author is saying, keep going, keep worshipping, keep running. You're almost home. And in just a little while, Christ will return. And that moment will be a day of joy, a day of glory, and the beginning of the rest of eternity. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would help us to keep looking forward to what is to come, that we would be a people who are aware and confident of that unshakable kingdom that is ours in Christ. And I pray this week you'd help us to be a people who worship you in how we love and serve and in how we understand your grace and live it out in practice. And Father, we pray you keep us at trusting this message until the end and until Christ returns. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.